got to tell you, I am so excited to have you with us, Dory. I'm just going to show you what a groupie I am. If you were in person, I would definitely get your autograph. <laughs> All right. Well, next time we're in person, I will give you the autograph. It may have to be on something else and you can just like stick it in there. <laughs> Unless you want to carry that around with you everywhere you go. Yes. Well, I got to tell you. So this has been one of my favorite, well-worn, dog-eared, highlighted. Uh, now out of print. Now out of print because you have a new one. So I'm super excited to introduce everybody to you, Dory Chattel. Um, she is famous in the field of dialysis and particularly in the field of kidney disease and dialysis member or patient education. And, um, and quite honestly, I frequently refer to your material when I'm working with patients and I still do, Yeah, uh, but you've got, you've got so many amazing tools to really help support people. And, uh, you know, as you know, kidney disease, dialysis has been my passion for a long time. We just say a, a few decades is all. Mine too. We <laughs> just share, so we have to get a heavier face or neck cream. But uh, and uh, you know, as you know, our passion here at Specialty Care Management is reducing the risk of dialysis, not just in terms of cost containment strategies, but truly in in uh, in getting upstream from dialysis. And uh, it's I know the most important thing. I would. Mm. much, much, much rather help someone avoid or slow progression of chronic kidney disease than teach them about dialysis any day of the week. Yeah. Or have them slam into dialysis. That's a really scary Oh, that's the worst. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really that's, that's the worst part. So gosh, I'm just going to, now that I've introduced you a little bit, uh, I just wanted to kind of give you the floor and and just have you share a little bit about, I know you and I could talk for a long time. We're like two peas in a pod, but just share a little bit about what brought you to this space, what you're most excited about. Okay. So I actually came to this space in 1989 when I was 11 years old, or maybe slightly older than that. And I went to work for a woman named Edith Oberly, and she was the home hemo partner for her husband, Terry, whose kidneys failed when he was in medical school. And he was an identical twin. His identical twin also had kidney failure. They actually wrote a book about it and called something like Twin Cyborgs. They both had, oh, Darn it, I knew I was going to forget the name of the disease. Anyway, it's a disease that affects the ears and the kidneys. Alports. Oh, yes. Alports. They had Alports syndrome. Kidneys and ears do go together. Kidneys right? and ears. Exactly. Yeah. In, in utero, they, they both develop yeah. at the same time. So they, they both ended up on dialysis. But, you know, he's in the middle of medical school. They had one young son and his kidneys failed. And life at that point was how can we, how can I keep going? How can I finish medical school? How can I live with this and still have the life I want? And this is really critical. He was the first dialysis patient I ever met. The first fistula I ever saw, I thought it looked like a snake under his skin. It was a very big, very well-developed fistula because by the time I met him, he had had it for a very long time. And um, his wife, Edith, wrote a book called Understanding Your New Life with Dialysis. Because they end up doing home dialysis. Lila Jorgensen trained them. I think she might even still be working. I'm not sure. Lila was great. I had 
was lucky enough to have the opportunity to meet her many times. Mm-hmm. And, but, but Edith was an English teacher and figured out, it's like, you know, there's nothing out here for us in the way of education. There just isn't anything. So she wrote this book and we ended up revising the book, updating the book, keeping the book in print, pulling parts of it out to turn it into other things. And eventually the book was no longer in print. But that idea of a chronic disease where people could live well if they got a good treatment, but yet most Americans whose kidneys failed did not live well. And that's still true. That really hooked me in because I've been interested in chronic disease since I was like 10 years old. So um, I just, I was hooked and I have worked in renal ever since. Wow. That's, that's so inspirational. You know, it's interesting because I have always had a passion for uh, my whole life's purpose is to empower myself and others to live, live our best lives. And as a nurse, I I just think it's a holy calling almost. And absolutely. And educating I've seen through proper and and you and I'll go down that rabbit trail. Not just education, right? Just education. Yeah. Right. But but really empowering members involves a whole lot more than just education, right? So maybe you can talk a little bit about that because I think empowering is such a pregnant. Uh, space in terms of really helping people to thrive on dialysis or avoid dialysis. But what does that, right. what does that look like for you? Or, or even, th- or thrive with any chronic disease really. But yeah. you know what, what it looks like is I, I feel like the, the piece of empowering patients with any chronic disease that we tend to miss in a clinical setting is the emotional piece. So social workers are sort of trained for that, but you know, they, people don't see social workers until they hit the dialysis clinic for the most part. Yeah. So they sit with a nurse who says, okay, what's your, what's your next question? Answer the next question. Like a waitress in a, in a restaurant, filling in yep. everything that the nurse needs to gather. Yeah. Or the yeah, physician but, behind the keyboard, same thing. Right. Well, you know, I, I, every once in a while, I mostly the talks that I do, and I've done lots and lots of talks over the years. Mostly, I get nurses, I get social workers, I get technicians, I get patients, and every once in a while, I get to talk to nephrologists. And every time I do, I ask them this question: I Say, how often does it happen? that you see a patient in clinic and they're getting close to needing dialysis, they need, a, they need an access and you start explaining, well, there's hemo and there's PD and there's fistulas and there's PD catheters and the eyes glaze over or they well up with tears and they don't hear a word you say and they come back for your next appointment and you have to do the exact same thing all over. And all the, he- the heads nod like bobbleheads. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is what's happening. They're terrified. They can't hear a word you say. My life is over. Yes, that's what they hear. They hear, oh my God, my Aunt Ethel was on dialysis and I saw her go through it and it was terrible. And, you know, my mom had diabetes and my uncle and my grandfather. I'm doomed. I may as well just give up right now. There's a lot of fatalism out there. And there's a lot of lack of knowledge. But the problem is you can't put the knowledge in while the fear is in the way. It won't go. Right. When cortisol and adrenaline are surging we can fight we can flee we can freeze but we can't learn so well, we're trying to 
We're trying oh, to educate oh. people at the worst possible moment when they're at maximum effect. Right, right. And they well, can't learn well, that. If you think about I it, think so about fear it. is also fear is a powerful awesome. motivator. The Absolutely. problem around fear is that there's a there's this invisible line and without rapport and empathy, which we've talked about, and that that trust, yeah, then it, it's easy to either scare somebody into a corner, right? Where they freeze up. Yep. But the skilled clinician and the empathetic uh, clinician or support person is able to deploy fear as a, as a motivator. And you right. talk about this too, the twin powers of fear and hope, right? They just are flip enough, sides of a coin. Yeah, right. And, and just enough to get them to get off the fence. You sit on a fence, it only gives you a sore bum, by the way, right? Right, but right. Just enough to get them to move. But if you don't couple that with Maybe you can talk about that, the twin powers. You know, I, I, um, I was a psychology major as an undergrad. And one of the, I mean, I took psychology of motivation, among other things. I took every psychology course I could get my hands on because psychology is great. Juicy. Yeah. And one of the things that I never forgot from my social psychology class is that a useful strategy is to scare people somewhat and then give them a solution versus terrifying them so that they can't function. I never forgot that. It's 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 been useful, you know, because you don't want to underplay it. If somebody has chronic kidney disease, that is a big deal. You don't well, want to we're doing a lot of that today. Right? I mean the right. the milieu out there is hey there's no problem. You got a little touch of sugar. When it gets to be too much of a problem, I got a pill for you or I got insulin yep. for you. But that's too bad. Don't worry about it. I got a nice cush dialysis chair for you here. Uh-huh. Exactly. And we don't serve people by not sharing enough bed. We don't, we don't, uh, you gloss over things. You can't dress up a, a mud cake and present it as a, as a cake and expect people to eat it and go yum, yum. Exactly. So, so we want to make it clear that this is an important, serious health challenge, but not only is there a lot they can do, they're the only one who can do a lot of the things that need to be done. Yeah. Nobody else is going to put food in their mouths. Nobody else is going the to doctor's not going to come take make me them for a walk. Right. I don't think so. Don't it. <laughs> Are they going to follow you to the restaurant and see what you order? I don't think my so. finger and check me, uh, uh -huh. me out on my forehead when I'm good. Yeah. Right. I mean, what, what we don't tell people because we have a, we have a healthcare system that is, set up it, it's very top down and it you know it's very much still well, very must much listen to the godlike clinicians yeah. and i love clinicians and i know hundreds of them and they are wonderful especially nephrologists yeah i adore nephrologists they are terrific yeah. but but we're taught from childhood that you know this this compliance model that doesn't fit chronic disease it was never meant for chronic disease it doesn't fit and expecting people to comply means that somebody's got to be going around watching everything they do and saying, no, 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 not that, not that, no, no, don't eat that. How, don't how empowering is that? Not you at know, because, all. Because kidney disease has a lot of this in it, right? Oh, it does. People Absolutely. It totally puts people in a corner. You bad little boy, you bet you're here because you didn't mind. Ooh. Yep. Yeah. Yep. My exactly. pet peeve. Mine too. And... Yeah. The word compliance should never, ever be used with respect to a chronic illness. Correct. Because in a chronic disease, your job is to self-manage. 
And that means we need to empower you to be able to do your job, to know why you might want to do your job, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and to be so happy with yourself that you're doing your job, that you are intrinsically motivated to keep doing it. And that's what we forget. We're just like, you know, yelling at people to do whatever. This isn't going to change anybody's behavior. It's going to make them not talk to you, you know, not confide in you. You know, it's showing lack of empathy. I think that's why I'm such a fan of the coaching model. You know, when we talk about nurse coaching, a coaching model implies that you're not broken. And it also implies that you're the expert. Now I have, I have a bag over here with a bunch of knowledge and strategies that I'm going to share with you, but ultimately you're the boss. You're in the driver's seat. My job is to come along beside you and give you what you need so that you can have the life you want. Exactly. And be your cheerleader along the way, because chances are you're going to mess up at some point. And rather than having somebody yell at you, you need somebody to say, you know what? I'm looking at this and 90% of the time you did an amazing job. You know, keep up the great work. If you get to 92%, that would be even better. But, you know. And it's okay. Dust off, dust yourself off, hop back on. And tomorrow you can try to walk across the pool. Exactly. (laughs) I can't walk on water yet. Where it isn't, oh, I was going to say, I was saying hopefully where it isn't above your head. (laughs) Right. Well, you know, it's interesting because um, a lot of times, you know, what I have found is people, as soon as it usually takes, and I've seen people make huge shifts. I've seen people double their kidney function in as little as two or three months. And the important thing that has to happen is they have to have an experience with hope, right? With the with the combination of a knowledge and a skill set, and and they have to have that light bulb moment that oh my gosh, this works! Don't yes. you love it when they say that? I can't yes. believe this works, and you say, well, I can. Or my doctor doesn't know what I'm doing, but he said to keep doing it. We say, yep, hey, I see that a lot. You know what you're doing? You're doing all the work, and you're. But that, but sometimes, you know, to your point, Halloween comes around or a birthday or a Thanksgiving. Yep. And if you're not careful, you fall off the wagon and then you might as well give it up because, you know, you've done like to your point, you've done all this stuff. Right. But now, you know, and if, if you're right, if you don't have somebody there who can reflect that back to you, all of us see our shortcomings, right? All of us, you know, we're never good enough for ourselves. So, yeah. Well, and lifestyle changes are really challenging. And there's so many things that go against them from the cost of things like, you know, fresh vegetables and fruits to not knowing how to cook them and having family who don't like them or going to a family event where there's nothing but Cheetos and Doritos and, you know, and onion you don't want to disappoint grandma. She made that cake just for you. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. My next door neighbor. So I, I, I've had pre-diabetes for 19 years. My last A1C was five. Okay. I'm in like, per, if you checked any of my blood numbers, you would never know. But if I stopped eating the way I ate, they yeah. would shoot right back up. So my next door neighbor is an absolutely fabulous baker. He's just wonderful. And he will just literally drop by with a 
whole tray full of cinnamon buns or a cheesecake or whatever. And you know what? My strategy is I take one bite so that I can rave about it credibly. Oh my God, it was so good. It was so creamy. It was just, oh, George is so thoughtful. This is, yes, you're so sweet. He's the sweetest guy. So I can't not eat it, but I sure as heck cannot eat a whole cheesecake or even right. a whole cinnamon roll. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, there, there are ways. You can try grandma's cake a little bit. Just a little bit. Well, you know, it's interesting, Dora. you know, uh, we, uh, I love using your tools. We use a lot of your tools in our member education. Got some fantastic resources. I'm, I'm frequently telling folks, hey, when you're sitting in the chair, go on to dialysis or kidney, or sorry. Kidney school. Thank you. Kidney school. <laughs> yep. To the audio book. Work yeah. through a module. I, I mean, I think that sometimes... And there's a there's a there's a pregnant space, if you will, for education. And there's a there's a space, particularly where people are going through like dialysis disequilibrium or the dialysis fog, or they're they're in that space where thinking is is really hard because it's muddy up here. Um, but the thing I love about your tools is that they can work at their own pace. It gives you something to refer them to or family members. Right. right. Having right. having the support of a family member who says, how do I, I don't, I don't know how to help. Um, and to be able to give them a, a tool, a resource, if you will. And I just love that your material is written in a way that's easy to understand. It's not dumbed down, but right. it's not so difficult that I say, well, I don't understand a word this says. Right. Um, and it's not difficult to, to understand. And then that audiobook I think is delicious for people. Yeah. The last couple of kidney school modules, we haven't done audio and I don't know that we will, but, um, now there are, there's technology that can help with that. So there are readers that can read the modules even without us actually producing audio, which is, which is a nice change. But the thing that I like best about kidney school is that people can choose what they want to learn when they want to learn it. And one of my pet peeves is, is, and this is, there's actually a lot of this going on in nephrology. February is phosphorus month. Everybody's going to learn about phosphorus. Now, if you're facing homelessness or your partner's about to leave because you have yeah. no sex drive or whatever, phosphorus is the last thing on your mind. And one of the key principles of adult learning is relevance phosphorus is not relevant to you right now. Other things are much more so, but people are short-staffed and busy, and it's just easier to give everybody the same information the same month, whether or not that makes any objective sense. And I would argue that it does not. And that it's probably better than nothing, but maybe not a lot. Not if it ends up in the trash, right? Right. If it ends up right. in the trash and you don't read it, then you, why bother? Yeah. I really well, but it got ticked off of a list. So, you know. Yeah, the waitress model. Well, we're not waitress yes. here. And I really think that that kind of education support has to be tailored. And like right. you and I were talking before, you know, I think that tailoring even goes so far as to be relationship dependent, right? If I'm yeah. talking with a truck driver and I'm trying to explain what the GFR is, what's the glomerulus, mm -hmm. what does the GFR represent? I might talk about that as it's kind of like the fuel filter in your truck. Exactly. If I'm talking to a homemaker, I might say, well, it's kind of like the Brita, you know, the water filter on your kitchen sink, right? Or 
that is a perfect example of using relevance. You know, those are those are great examples. You know, because you are going to talk to an engineer or maybe a NASA rocket scientist, and I know lots of them, differently than you might talk to somebody who, you know, drives a bus or, you know, um, runs a child care center. Right. They just, they have different frames of reference. And and to not tailor that uh, education, I I think in in some, and I don't mean to be inflammatory, but in some ways it's kind of disrespectful that we expect people to fit into a cookie cutter mold. It's our job to tailor, not their job to fit into our mold. It's our job. If we really do want to have a positive impact, that's going to be reflected at the end in -hmm. terms of better outcomes and ROI. If we want to have that at the end, that's, that's on us. Right. Right. But it, but that's a, it's a challenging thing. I think I think teaching empathy is challenging. I think that teaching yeah. a a coaching model is challenging. Yeah. You know, we're asking people to, you know, not just do a rote thing, but to change what they do to meet people's needs. And that's, that's why. Always- keep up, baby, because you've got 350 members to manage. Let's go. That's right. <laughs> so we don't ask for much, you know. Yeah, but- yeah, I got it. Yeah. But, but if we, if we could at least start even just very simply when we're talking to people who are newly diagnosed to just say, I know this is probably really scary for you. Most of the people who I talk to are really scared and that is totally normal, you know, and it's okay. You know, and here's the thing, there's a lot that you can do to make your health better. And I'm, that's why I'm here. I'm here to help you. Just that acknowledgement. You don't have to be a psychologist to at least make somebody feel heard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. And that's simple. And I just did it and it took, what, 15 seconds? It's it's not. And but I that already had everything. the awe response. Right? <sighs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but we don't do that in healthcare. And it doesn't really matter what the scary diagnosis is. And there's plenty of them out there. We don't ever say, I know this is really scary. I know this is really hard to hear. I know this isn't the news you were hoping to get. You know, there's any number of ways of putting this that just make it clear that you're a human and they're a human. And we're going to interact on a human basis for a minute or two before I start flinging facts at you. Yeah. And maybe pausing. Pausing in between our, you know, having them drink from the fire hydrant. Yeah. You know, yeah. What, what do you understand so far of what we talked about? Or I know we yeah. talked about a lot of things, but what's the most or important? What's thing? your biggest concern right this minute? Right. You know, what's was what, one thing? Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the, the reality is people are pretty likely to cry and that's okay. It's hard for a lot of people to deal with, especially doctors, but People who, you know, Lori Hartwell likes to say, and I've always thought she was right. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah, true. True. You can do a whole lot of things with somebody when they know that you care, right? Absolutely. You can push. Yes. Challenge. Uh, You can't, it's hard to do that without that foundation of empathy and trust that you talked about early on. It it is pretty darn near impossible without having that. So can you do that in the app? Please. Um, I don't know that we can exactly 
deal out, dole out, deal out empathy in and out. But but what we do is when we develop educational materials for patients, we write everything at a fifth or sixth grade reading level, paragraph by paragraph, not just checking the whole thing. Each paragraph has to hit that level. And we do that on purpose because even if you are a NASA rocket scientist, if you're scared, you are not comprehending at your usual level and you can know everything about rockets and nothing about kidneys. You know, I mean, most of us do not learn about kidneys in school. We don't necessarily know anything. I mean, even nurses, even right. They don't learn dialysis in nursing school. I know. Mm -hmm. How many times have you talked to a provider? Right. And they say, oh, I'm a nurse. I should know all that stuff. And then you just gently Uh throw some things out there and then you got them because they're like, oh, I didn't know that. Right. Right. Or or it's different. It's just different when it's you. Right. It is different. So what I used to do a lot when I flew Delta, because I was platinum on Delta and I would get upgraded a lot. I would sit next to various different business people. Now I fly Southwest, which I like much better. But when I flew to Delta and I got upgraded all the time, nobody got away from me without knowing you know, what I did and that there was such a thing as home dialysis. Because you, know, you always end up having at least that little bit of a conversation of, oh, what do you do? Well, you know, I run this nonprofit organization and we educate people about kidney disease. Every single person I have ever talked to knows somebody with kidney yeah. disease because it is that prevalent in our culture. So I would go through, you know, oh, you know, okay, your uncle had it, your neighbor has it, you know, whatever. So, you know, there's, there are seven different ways to do dialysis, even though we tend to think in terms of PD and hemo being binary. There's three, two ways to do PD. There are five ways to do hemo. So there's seven ways to do dialysis. And I would explain that, you know, nocturnal home hemo is the most dialysis that somebody can get and that that tends to correlate with having more of a sex drive, sleeping better at night, having more energy, carrying a baby longer. Exactly. Exactly. All of the things, not one of them ever, ever got away from that conversation without saying, well, it seems like a no brainer. I would pick nocturnal home hemo. I'm like, sure you would because there's no emotion because this is an academic exercise for you because you're not thinking of it as oh my God, I have to make a choice and all of the choices look bad and scary. Yep. Or how many times have you had a conversation with somebody who's nearing dialysis and they say, I'll never do dialysis, I'll die first. How my many mother says that. Yeah. My mother has told me that multiple times. And Peter I believe her actually. Oh, <laughs> okay. Six, well, I was going to say. I absolutely this. believe her. A hundred percent of the people I've talked to have said, no way I'll die first. And they all end up on dialysis. So I do know a few that I, there was one woman on Facebook who had uremic frost. When was the last time you heard of uremic frost? I do not think she did dialysis. I think she stuck to her guns, but most people, most people don't know anything about it except it's dialysis and I don't want it. Yeah. 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 It's badly named, unfortunately. Yeah. Some people rename it life Alice's, which I think is a nice thing to do. Oh, I like that. I, I've seen a few people do that. Oh, that's, I have not heard that before. That's delicious mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? Yeah. 
You know, it's interesting because then you do and you work with some of these members and then their story shifts and they say things like, well, now I, you know, I get to see my grandkids graduate. I didn't think I'd be able to do that. Or gosh, I feel better than I have in years. And I didn't know it could be like this or slippery slope. Yeah. (laughs) Or I'm sure you've, I'm sure, you know, Sam Trevino, right? Yeah. Sam's great. I love him. He'll tell you, I got married. I got to finish high uh, college, played yep. soccer throughout the dial, yep. saved his brother's life. His whole story about getting through the hurricane. I He's just one of the most inspiring. He's a force of nature. Yeah. It's terrific. Dialysis is not the end of the world. However, it's fantastic to avoid it where you can, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And those things do not contradict each other at all. They don't at all. Well, Dory, I just, if people have questions, if they want to know more about, you know, you, your work, your new book, which is awesome. That's the old book. The old book. You That's the old book. book. Yeah. The, the new, new, the book. new book will come out next year. It's, we are right now we are buffing up the references. We're making sure that they all say what they're supposed to and that we've highlighted everything that we claim that they say and that they're all in folders. And when it goes in layout, it gets pictures, all kinds of cool stuff happens. We go, we go to the library of Congress and get copyright and it'll come out next year. But the decision aid, the new updated decision aid is based on the references in the new book. So the new book is a little different than the old book. For one thing, it includes transplant and conservative management, which we call comfort care. And the decision aid does also. And then for another thing, we're splitting the book in two because the old part of the book, which is like all about dialysis and transplant and conservative management, that's about as long as the whole old book was. And then we now we, we also have a whole value section where we've expanded all the resources around each of the values. We can't print that too. I mean, nobody's going to read a 400 page book. So that's going to become online content. And we probably are going to do some booklets out of the book. So we may do a PD booklet and a transplant booklet and a conservative management booklet. And so we will we will be rolling this out in all sorts of different forms. But the new decision aid is mykidneylifeplan.org. And it looks different. It has a different name because now it isn't just my dialysis choice. Okay. That's the one I'm familiar with. Exactly. That's the old one. And starting, I think tomorrow, the old one is going to automatically take you to the new one because it is live. And actually we have a comment form, an orange button on every single page where folks can go through it and give us comments and we can tweak it and make sure that it's as good as it can be before it's final. Oh, yes. There you go. Beautiful. Yeah. You know, I love this because, you know, sometimes you go in and they say, well, to your point, here are all the choices, but you're like, I have no idea. Hemo just sounds easiest. I don't know. And, and I don't want any of them, right? They're all bad. All the choices are bad. And what this lets people do, first of all, it gives people hope. It starts off with hope. So if you read this, you know, kidney disease can affect every part of your life. Use this free tool to see how dialysis, transplant, or comfort care may impact your life. Your treatment is your choice. We can help you choose the right treatment for you. So we're starting in a different place. And then choosing 
three values to start with. People can go back, they can choose every single value if they want, but each one's going to take five minutes. And, you know, if you want to be there all day, by all means, choose every value, but most people don't, you know. So it helps people think about the options in terms that make sense to them because, you know, you get to say, okay, well, what's most important to me is I want to spend as much time as I can with my family or I need to keep my job. You know, I don't keep my job. I lose my house. I can't send my kids to college, you know, whatever, or I want to travel. And it's going to tell you for each of those different options. And actually you can shut off transplant or comfort care or all dialysis and just focus on whichever block of treatments you're interested in. So that's new as well. But it's, this is a way to, to sort of try a treatment on for size, get your motivation in place. And I think, although we can't prove it yet, but I believe that what will happen is that when people know what their motivation is, they're going to be way more likely to stick with a home treatment if that's what they choose. You know, because a big issue now is not just trying to get people home. It's trying to help them succeed at home because a lot of people end up back in center. Oh, you didn't tell me this was going to be so much work. I didn't realize how much space all this stuff was going to take. I thought this would be easy. I was told it would be less time than I am in center and it's more time. And if what's in, what's front and center is I want to be there for my kids, you know, I want to, I want to be able to take the machine with me, then that helps you get over those, those road bumps. Right. Yeah. And so you have realistic expectations and isn't that exactly. the source of disappointment? You know, disappointment comes when we had a set of expectations that weren't met for whatever reason. And the more. Well, and and people try so hard to sell people on these therapies that they don't necessarily bother to tell them about the time it will take, the space it will take. And I think most importantly, how long it's going to take to feel comfortable at home. And we find that that varies Anywhere from occasionally as little as two or three weeks, there are folks who just take to it like ducks to water and they do great from the get-go. They are unusual. They are not typical. Typically, it's at least six to 12 weeks at home to get in a routine, to to feel things getting easier. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it can be up to a year. I like Sam's story. He talked about how, you know, he just watched him play, messing with the machine. And before he knew it, he's like, well, hey, that's my machine. So show me, teach me. Yes. And, you know, I think encouraging people to be open, um, you know, just to be open. They don't, it's, you know, you don't have to make your decision overnight. And that's part of the reason why earlier education is really important. The earlier that we can let people know it's kind of like I tell people, it's like shopping for a car. If I wait to start shopping for a car till my car is dead in the driveway, I'm going to. You're going to make a fear-based decision is what's going to happen. And that's what happens to. And have no control over what I'm doing. 80 plus, I think, percent of, of patients in the U.S. is they make a fear-based decision. And fear-based decisions tend to be bad choices yeah. that you make under duress. You know, so at the start of stage four, the other potential benefit for educating about modalities then is that the emotions are not fully engaged. It's still not so close that you're like, so you can, so you can be like the fellows on the plane 
and have a little bit of emotional distance and say, well, you know, that really makes sense. What's important to me is this and this, and look how well that fits versus, oh my God, it's here now. And I need to make a choice and I don't like any of the choices and I'm just not going to make one. And then this will go away. Right. And then I end up in that emergency room with a catheter on my neck. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So we've solved all of the things now. There you go. Well, I, I just got to say, Dory, I'm a huge fan. If, if you haven't figured it out now, I totally love and appreciate your work. Thank you for the wonderful work you do. We I'm are really so the on the same page, and I'm so glad for the work that you are doing, and I wish that Aww. everybody had access to it. Well, we're here. That's, that's how healthcare should work and doesn't often enough. So it's it's just so gratifying to know that you are in the trenches making this work better for at least the folks, you know, whose lives you touch. Well, there are a lot of good, there are a lot of good people in the space who yep. want to do the right thing and who really want to help. You know, when you talk about, you know, access to care, um, <clears throat> a lot of that goes into, well, you have to have, not only you have to have the kind of care, but you have to be able to afford it. Right. Yep. You have to be able to even know it's there. So you know, we appreciate um, being able to uh, access your resources and share them with our members. Uh, highly encourage people, if you haven't met Dory, uh, to certainly reach out to her. She's on LinkedIn. She's brilliant. Check out her her website. What's the best website for them? Is it the MEI? Probably MEI.org because it connects to all of the others. But actually, all of our sites connect together. So if you find your way to any of them. So we have lifeoptions.org, which is our non-dialysis CKD site, largely biggest non-dialysis CKD site in the world that we're aware of. We have Kidney School, which has been around for Oh my gosh, I think since 2001, I think kidney school is 21 years old and it can drink now. One of my personal favorite. <laughs> uh, we have Home Dialysis Central. So that's our site for, to raise aw- awareness and use of PD and home hemo because those are the treatment options that empower people the most to self-manage if, if they get to the point where they need dialysis. And then we have the Decision Aid my kidney life plan, which is for folks to make a choice. Those are our four patient facing sites. And then we have the MEI.org. We have a CE website for nurses. We have, um, oh, KDQOL complete, which scores the KDQOL 36 quality of life tool. And then somewhere in there, I think it's still live. We have a a technician professionalism site. Dang. Okay. So I didn't know that one. We do that's the core awesome. curriculum for the dialysis technician. That is us also. Oh, that's, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we, I know. Well, and printed material, brochures, workbook. I love how the, you've got yep. two booklets that are my favorite are the early kidney disease and your late stage kidney disease. Yeah. Just easy to follow. Makes sense. Yeah. So there's a, a, a treatment options one that is going to become part of that series. And then I'm thinking also a PD one and a transplant one and a, you know, that go into more detail. Cause I'm not sure there really is a PD booklet that that's out there that doesn't just say, here's how you wash your hands. And now that PD is being reimbursed at a higher rate, we are mm-hmm. definitely seeing an uptick in PD. It's a um, great first option. Mm-hmm. So You know, it buys so much time. It keeps people, can keep people in their jobs and it doesn't involve needles. It doesn't use up any blood vessels. 
Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many advantages to starting with PD if, you know, if you're one of the two thirds of people who can. Yeah. And I think most clinicians would choose PD first. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's interesting. So anyway, uh, and, and especially in the face of uh, this uh, a new, we have this new emphasis on value-based care, um, you know, and being able to promote more upstream solutions uh, really makes my heart happy. I know it makes your heart happy because that's what it you're does. all about too. So yeah, certainly reach out to Dory Chattel. And Dory, thank you so much for sharing some time with us today. I really appreciate it. You are so welcome. I am so honored to be asked and I would come back anytime. Hot dog. Lunch date (laughs) it is. All right. Sounds like a plan. Have a great rest of your day. 